hear that theme song? Oh, I, it's my understanding that it, that has hit number one on all the Billboard charts uh, because it's played to intro the Steam Room, the second most popular podcast in the history of media. Hey, Ernie. Wow. I think when you get a theme song, you have officially made it. I think so too. I think so too. If imagine if that if that had lyrics to it, I might have to work on some lyrics to the Steam Room theme song. We got to get us a famous singer to huh, like put some words into it. Okay, yeah, we'll work on that too. We'll, I'll I'll write the music and we'll get someone to to sing the theme song for the Steam Room. Anyway, uh, that's, we're spinning our wheels here at the outset, and I hate it when we do that because we have so much to get to today. Nick Saban is going to be a guest here in the steam room today. Also, uh, the Malamut brothers, Adam and Craig, uh, the brains behind the Game of Zones, which is absolutely brilliant coverage of the NBA from a Game of Thrones standpoint. Tim Kiley will be along, as he is um, almost every week. So we got a lot to get going, and uh, and and this is uh, this is going to be a very very entertaining uh, podcast, despite what you may have already heard so far, which has been uh, kind of boring. But uh, it's never boring when Charles brings us first of all. First of all, I could listen to that Mariah Carey song every day. First of all, I've met Rob Lowe a few times in my life. That's a pretty man. First of all, Christmas Carolyn is not a thing. First of all, I don't even think Kale's a thing. First of all, I, I've i never used cologne. Oh, come on. I'm man. serious. Well, Ernie, I'm going to say something that, that I probably should have said a while back. So there's a guy writing a, uh, an unauthorized biography about me. Uh, his name is Timothy Bella. Uh, so I've had a bunch of my friends in the last six months to a year calling me and asking me should they comment on the book. What I've had, what I have told my friends is I have nothing to do with the book. I'm not involved in any form, shape whatsoever. I left it up to them to speak to this guy, but uh, I think he's inferring that I'm involved in the book. And I just want to make it perfectly clear. And listen, my close friends aren't going to talk to this guy. Uh, I'm sure of that. They're my friends for a reason. But I have not told anybody not to talk to this guy. I don't know him at all. I don't have anything to hide. Uh, but I just wanted to feel that because I keep getting my friends like, yo, man, what do you think? I said, dude, I've told you I'm not involved with the book. If you want to talk to this guy. And he said, dude, I would never break your confidence. I said, dude. I, uh, so I just want to make that perfectly. I wish this guy nothing but the best. But uh, I just want to make it clear. I got nothing to do with the book. If you want to talk to this guy, you can I got a question for you. Yes. Because I've gotten uh, a number of emails from this very man, and I have not uh, reached out to you to ask about it. I don't know anything about him. I just knew that given the fact that you were not part of this, that I'm not going to do it. So I just don't feel, I mean, if, Chuck, if you were sold on it and you were like, oh, yeah, hey, uh, if, if you hear from him, uh, I'm I'm all on board with this. Go ahead, but no, I can't. I can't see myself doing that either. So first of all, I don't feel like I have anything to hide in my life. I, I am who I am and what I am. But see, I always get nervous when you. I got people calling me. I have, haven't spoken to since I was in high school. It is what it is. Like I say, if anybody want to talk to them, that's fine. But like, 
I know my good friends, like, yo, man, because, you know, when you have a relationship with people, your, your, your conversations are private. Uh, even when we speak about you on different interviews, Ernie, I say, Ernie, you, you cooperating with this, uh, whether it's HBO or whatever. I says, yo, man, I'm not going to discuss Ernie unless Ernie wants to be discussed. But like I say, man, I'm very lucky and blessed at a great place in my life. But I just want to make my position clear. Yeah, and it's loud and clear. If it's not something that you're that you're on board with, and I'm not going to be on board with it either. So, uh, so there you go for your first of all. Anything else on your mind? Yeah, I want to wish Pat Dye the best. Uh, found out in the last couple of days he's uh, in the hospital in Atlanta with the coronavirus. Uh, Pat Dye is Auburn. He's a he's been a hell of a coach. He's a great Auburn man. So I just want to wish Pat Dye the best. War damn eagle. And uh, now that you say that, I mean, how interesting here that on. Uh, on this show, we'll have Auburn represented, as you talk about Pat Dye, and Alabama represented by Nick Saban, the legendary head coach of the Crimson Tide, who will join us next here on the Steam Room. We welcome you back to the Steam Room, the uh, second most popular podcast in the history of media. Uh, you can look it up. It's right there. And Chuck, say the two words. Special guest. Nick Saban joins us, head coach, University of Alabama. Uh, this is a steam room highlight for us, coach. And uh, we appreciate you being here. Please keep your keep your towel on. Uh, that's the only steam room rule that we have. And um, uh, I I know that you and Chuckster go back a, a little a little ways. I was looking at a. I was looking at a one-on-one -on -one interview you guys did in Tuscaloosa about four years ago. I, I remember that. You know, Charles, to me, does an outstanding job. You know, sometimes when people interview you, you feel a little bit like you got to stay guarded. You can't be yourself. And uh, I think that people can basically, who can disarm you a little bit, make you feel comfortable, which I think he does a great job of. Uh, maybe it's because I have such respect for him as a player when he was a player and, um, uh, Incidentally, I liked your little piece in the last dance, even though you guys didn't end up winning. Uh, it was uh, really a great team that you had. And when I was at the Cleveland Browns, I actually saw that team play. So, uh, yeah, we do go back. Uh, I do appreciate Charles. He was a great competitor, a great player, and he's done a great job from a media standpoint. And I always enjoy doing stuff with him. Coach, how many years have you been coaching? Uh, oh, I don't know. I have to figure out. My first year coaching was 1973. I was a graduate assistant for Coach Don James at Kent State. So you can do the math on that. Um, so what is it, 2020 now? That's a long time. Going on 50 years pretty soon here, Coach. Yeah, the, the reason I ask that question is, is this the longest you've ever stayed still is my question. Yeah, it is. It is the longest I ever stayed still. And, and I think, um, you know, we kind of go through stations in life where, you know, we're aspiring to something or whatever. And um, my career was a little bit different than, you know, a lot of times college coaches are college coaches, NFL coaches are NFL coaches. But for whatever reasons, I, I kind of went back and forth. And, um, you know, I would get opportunity in college, then I'd get an opportunity in the NFL, then I'd go back to college. So... As that progressed, I always felt like I wanted to be a head coach in college first. 
But since I had coached in the NFL for six years, I thought the ultimate goal was to be a coach in the NFL someday. So uh, when I went to LSU, we won the national championship. I said, okay, this is the time. This is the opportunity. Miami Dolphins is a great place. But you learn about yourself. Now, we didn't have free agency when I was a coach in the NFL in, at the Houston Oilers and the Cleveland Browns, which completely changed the dynamics of your team I, in, in a lot of ways. And I'm, it's good for the players. I'm not complaining about it. But I had never experienced that. All right, so when I went to the Dolphins, we were way over the salary cap. We didn't have any draft picks. I mean, it was a tough situation. And I found out, man, I get so much more positive self-gratification being a college coach. All right, so I just hope that someday I can go back to a coach. So instead of climbing the ladder, I, I finally sort of figured out this is what I'm all about and what I want to do. And I felt fortunate to be able to get an opportunity at a place like Alabama. So um, once I got here, I was thankful and had gratitude for getting here. And we've never, ever wanted to leave, really. Coach, aside from the the obvious thing of salaried players – versus college kids. What is the fundamental difference between coaching an NFL player and coaching a college player? And do you have to change who you are in that, in that uh, setting? I, I don't really think there's a whole lot of difference. Uh, I think if you're a good coach, and Charles could probably have a, a good opinion on this too, and I would be interested to hear what he has to say about it. The players respect you. Um, the motivation is this different. You know, in college, you know, players are trying to be, you know, better players. So they have an opportunity maybe to develop a career as a player so they can make money for their family or whatever. All right. So their motivation is a little bit different. I think once you become a professional player, uh, then you want to make as much money as you can. You want to play for as long as you can. Uh, and there's really nothing wrong with that. So the motivation is different. But if you're a good coach and you can help a guy in either one of those scenarios, sort of uh, accomplish the goal that he has, whether it's a college player wanting to play in the NFL someday or a professional player who wants to extend his career. I, I never felt like on the field coaching, teaching, working with players was really any different. The difference is, is what is the motivation? You know, one is totally driven by, you know, money. Uh, and the other one, you know, you've got young people who have goals and aspirations and dreams that they're trying to accomplish and, uh, so it's just a little bit different motivation, but the actual coaching of the player, I think that's one of the most, the greatest misconceptions that people have. They say, well, this guy's a star player. He's got to be hard to coach. Probably doesn't listen to the coach. I, I never found that to be true at all, all right, with players. You know, they still want to be good. They still respect the coach. Now, I think that the premiums probably needs to be on the word good because I think um, if – a player sees a coach as a phony or doesn't really know what he's talking about, and he's probably not going to respect them. But um, fortunately or unfortunately, I never felt like I ever had to deal with that with players. He's right. The difference is, I mean, college players, most of them think they're going to get to the pros, so they're going to listen to coaching. And in the pros, they just want to win. Uh, that's the bottom line. Everybody wants to win. You're going to get some knuckleheads here or there who not going to listen to coaching. They got They got their own agenda. But I think most players want to win. And the key is, from, from a coaching standpoint, I think the only difference between college and pros is most all of the players are going to listen to you in college. And if you saw with his last dance thing with Michael, like you can't coach Dennis Rodman the same way you coach other guys. Right. And 
So to me, the pros are you're more, yeah, you're coaching, but you're a psychologist also. I mean, because if Bill Belichick, who is a great coach, tried to coach Dennis Rodman, I don't think it would work. I mean, and that's the biggest difference. You have to adjust the personalities in the NBA. Uh, that's the biggest difference. Like, you, you know, you can take Scottie Pippen, who's a great player. Like, I'm not going to play because I want to have, uh, like, they're not going to pay me, so I'm going to wait to have surgery. Like, no, nah, man, you got to play. So it, that was the interesting thing about that whole documentary. You got to see all aspects of the pros. Because, Ernie, I tell people, they say, what's your biggest takeaway from the last dance? I says, you think about this, you see all the internal conflict going on between coaches and players, players and players, coaches and general managers. And I said, Ernie, they won six championships. Can you imagine all the crap that goes on on bad teams in pro sports? <laughs> exactly. That, that was the thing that I tell people. I said, they won six championships, and they still got all this stuff. So to pick it back on Coach's point, I think the hardest thing for a coach, he is, man, like, I got to make all this thing work. Everybody's got their own agenda. But how do I pull it together for the betterment of the team? To me, that's the biggest difference. Right. One of the things, Ernie, that I, you know, sort of piggyback onto that was, you know, I felt my experience as an NFL coach for eight years was probably the best experience in terms of my professional growth and development as a coach because of this one point, which Charles sort of alludes to. Now, before I went in the NFL and I was a college coach, I really coached every player the same. I mean, I coached the same technique. Uh, I treated them all the same. Um, So, being fair and honest with players and treating them all the same is not, it's different. Okay, so what I learned in the NFL all right, is that you have to coach a player for his style of play as well as his personality. In other words, you can't treat everybody the same. All right? it, it, and you, you, like I had Frank Minifield and Everson Walls in Cleveland. There could not be two different kind of corners. You know, Frank was a smaller guy, great feet, great change of direction, great burst, really good cover guy. You know, Everson Walls was a big guy, long arms, not real fast, but both very effective players. But their style of play could not been any different. So I had to learn how to coach one guy in a half turn who wasn't a great backpedal guy, and the other guy didn't need to play in a half turn so you could – so you have to learn how to coach every guy for what he can do. That has been the greatest asset for me coming back to college after that experience because you reach so many more players. You know, you see a guy like Drake or Patrick who played here for us who's long. I, he needs to play like Everson Walls play. I, and you got somebody else like Cyrus Jones. He needs to play like Frank Minifield play. I, so you learn how to get to more and more players not only from a physical standpoint, but also from a psychological and emotional standpoint. And, and I think that that's something that has helped us be successful because we're, we're able to get more players to reach their full potential because we don't treat everybody the same. you got to be fair and honest with people, but can't treat them all the same. And I learned that coaching in the NFL. Does it ever get personal for you when you're coaching? You're coaching against the guy on the other side. Is it ever personal? No, no, not really. I mean... You know, there's a lot of guys out there that coach for me now that are actually have programs of, of their own and they're doing a great job in their programs. But, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the guys that because they did a great job when they were here with us or worked with us. 
And um, knowing that it's their goal and aspiration to be able to get the opportunity to be a head coach because that's what they wanted to be. Um, and, you know, you, you, you want to win. I mean, you want to win for your team. Uh, you want to win for your program. Um, and I'm sure you respect the fact that they want to win. Uh, I've never been one like Bill Belichick and I were in the same division when I was at Miami and he was at New England. We were best of friends. We coached together for a long time. Uh, I coached with his dad, so I'd known his family for a long time. Um, and I wanted to beat him, and I knew he wanted to beat us, and I respected that. But we didn't dislike each other. You know, there was no, you know, you don't have to hate the guy you're playing against, all right, to want to win. I mean, being a competitor does not mean you have to dislike the person you're playing against. That may be a motivating factor for you, but it's not something that I've sort of relied on through the years. You know, I mean, I guess it's internal motivation, what you want to accomplish versus external motivation, which is all the things outside of you that can motivate you. And when you depend on that, you're going to be a little up and down because sometimes that's not going to be there. How, how confident are you right now you're going to play some football? Well, I don't think anybody knows for sure what the outcome is going to be because I think a lot of it's going to depend on um, what happens moving forward. I mean, if we have a setback with – you know, this, the spread of this disease, does that set us all back in terms of what we're trying to do in terms of moving forward? Uh, but I know it's, it's kind of everyone's goal to try to have a football season that starts when it's supposed to start, like Labor Day weekend, and have as normal schedule as possible and as normal playoff situation as possible. But I, I don't know if that's um, going to be realistic or not. Uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the players. Um, you know, there's a lot of players on your team that are looking forward to this season so that maybe they can enhance their value and have an opportunity to play at the next level. There's a lot of guys that would like to have a chance to win a championship, SEC championship, whatever. Uh, and they've worked hard to try to do that. And if they can't play a normal season, uh, that's the thing that would bother me the most. The same thing with the, with the players uh, and participants who missed all the spring sports, whether it was – you know, their golf team, their baseball team, their softball team, whatever. Um, you hate it for the participants who work so hard to have that opportunity, and now it's taken away from them through no fault of their own. So um, that's a situation that I hope we don't have to endure in the fall. Uh, so I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to, to play football in some capacity. Now, what, what are the guidelines going to be? Are we going to have fans? Are you going to have to wear a mask in the stands? You know, somebody sent me a picture of, Georgia Tech Stadium in like 1918 or 1917 when we were having the Spanish flu. And um, the stadium was full. They were playing a game. It might have only held 25,000 people back in those days, but everybody had a mask on. Um, so is that a possibility for us to play football in the fall to minimize, you know, the possibilities of transmission? Um, these are not decisions that are up to me. They're just things that I'm hopeful will happen. You know, there, there, I've heard some conversation, that, and I really don't like the conversation, that some of these conferences say, uh, big wigs say, we should play even if everybody can't play. Uh, what, what's your thought on that, like, just certain schools plan? I just don't think that'll be fair for the whole, for the big picture. Well, I, 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 I agree with you. Um, but let's just take the scenario – what if they can't play in California or they say they can't play in California? Or we play USC the first game. 
Um, TCU plays Cal, for example, the first game. Um, so what if they can't play in California, but we can play? Right? Which, well, we obviously can't play a game. Maybe we play TCU instead of Southern Cal because they can't play a, a, a California school as well. But um, is it a fair question to say just because California can't play, none of the other players can participate and play? So, you know, that, 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 that's a pretty tough debate. Um, I, I would be for whatever players can participate to be able to participate. And it may not be completely fair, um, but at least some of the players would have an opportunity to um, enhance their value and their dream of what they're really trying to accomplish uh, as a college student athlete. So, and getting an education obviously is the most important thing in preparing yourself for when you can't play, but we all know that a lot of these guys, you know, all have dreams of playing at the next level. Hey, Coach, you know, or maybe you don't, you broke my heart two years in a row. Think about Lola trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! The Crimson Tide will not be denied. Alabama breaks Georgia hearts. I can admit that, and I'm, I'm still working my way through it being a Georgia guy, uh, national championship game, SEC championship game. How do you characterize those games? Because they were both awesome to watch. Obviously, I, I didn't love the feeling I had in the parking lot afterwards. But those college football games right there, how do you, how do you describe them? Well, I, I think those were two great games. I mean, both of them a little different scenario. Um, in terms of both games we came from behind in, both games we changed quarterbacks. Um, you know, Tua replaced Jalen in one game, Jalen replaced Tua in the other, uh, which I think, you know, was a great opportunity for both of those guys to support the other guy, uh, which they did a nice job of, which um, goes a long way to express the kind of team chemistry you have. Uh, Georgia had really, really good teams. They played extremely well in the game. I mean, one play could have decided those games either way. Um, we have a tremendous amount of respect for, you know, Kirby and the program he has there at Georgia and the players they have. And those were, I mean, they're great competitive games. And, and people should really, really enjoy, you know, the entertainment that those games provide. And I know we're, we're all fans uh, and we get emotionally involved in games like this. So some people are going to be extremely happy and some people are going to be somewhat disappointed. And um, I'm a resident. I have a residence in Georgia too. So you know, I always kind of <laughs> like to see Georgia do well, but not necessarily when they're playing us. Not at the expense of you, that's for sure. Uh, let me let me throw something out there before, Charles, I know you're waiting. But you, you talked about fans. And it, it seems to me, Coach, that, I mean – Fans are, make a difference in every sport, or you know, it's it's huge for every sport. But college football is is like in a league of its own in terms of tailgating and people from out of town and alumni coming in and filling the place, and it's such an event. Could you see having a college football season without that? Well, I'd hate to see it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, because, you know, there's a spirit uh, that around college football uh, that is unique to most anything else that I've ever experienced. And uh, so many people relate to, and I, I think in the SEC, it's even 
more pronounced than anywhere else in the country. And uh, I think that's because until like 1970 or something, there were no pro sports in the South. So I don't care where you grew up in Alabama or where you grew up in Louisiana or Florida or wherever, you grew up being a college football, basketball. You, you grew up being a college fan. Right? There was no choice like Michigan State. You know, Michigan was 56 miles down the road. Notre Dame was 70 miles down the road. The Detroit Lions, the Detroit Tigers, the Detroit Red Wings, I mean, the Detroit Pistons. I mean, you, you grew up as a kid. You had about, you know, 10 different teams you could choose to root for. If you grew up in Alabama, you either liked Alabama or you liked Auburn. <laughs> and that's the way it was. I mean, there was there is no Birmingham Stallions that plays in the NFL for everybody to root for. So uh, I think that's why the passion in the SEC is what it is, because some a whole generation of people grew up being college football fans. So you have the pro sports fan and the college sports fan all tied into one in the SEC which I think is a pretty unique circumstance. And I would absolutely hate it right, if those people couldn't participate and have the fun that they have surrounding the spirit of a college football game. I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, even my kids, as simple as it was when they were little. When I was at LSU and my little girl, she wanted to go see Mike the Tiger, man, in, in the cave. Right, that's a part of the tradition of, you know, college football. We were at the Cleveland Browns. There wasn't, no, there wasn't any Mike the Tiger to go see. I mean, it's a different venue. Right? They're still the same fans, same kind of passion, but it's a little different spirit right, that goes along, you know, with those two things. And a lot of people identify with their college and they have, you know, a lot of pride in the tradition that their college has. And you have to respect that, you know, in terms of every school that you play. You know, being from Alabama, so I'm there quite a bit, and I got just as many Alabama fans as people, as Auburn fans. Do you ever get frustrated like, there's so much pressure on you to go undefeated. And if you lose a game, it's like the end of the world. I get frustrated when I'm there. You obviously have won so much. And you, you like, if you guys lose one game, that's like the end of the world there. Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, sometimes um, we, like, we, we don't try to focus on the expectations that other people have you know, externally for our program, our team. Um, it's hard not to listen to the noise, but we really do try to stay focused on the things that we can control, which is how do we develop our team and uh, how do we try to get our team to be the best that they can be. And we, we have a high standard for what we want to accomplish and what we do internally as a team. So it's not dependent on what everybody else thinks. Um, I do know what you're talking about. I do feel that pain sometimes, you know, because of the expectation. But I think the hardest thing for me as a coach to manage is how does that affect your players? Because right? it does affect your players. Right? And um, that, that's what I don't like. It creates anxiety uh, because all of a sudden they're not playing for themselves and their teammates. They're worrying about what everybody else thinks. And I'm not sure that's the best way to have fun. Uh, as a competitor and be the best that you can be at what you try to do. Uh, I'd rather be it from internally from you than externally from someone else. But I do, I do know what you're talking about. I do know the feeling. I try not to let it bother me at all uh, and just stay focused on 
what we can accomplish and what we can do internally in terms of being the best we can be. But sometimes it's not realistic. I mean, you can't lose four starters in front seven, lose the quarterback who's a great player and the leader of your team, leader of your team on defense, and not think that that's going to affect the kind of team you have. So sometimes you have good luck. I mean, we went through seasons around here when we won the national championship. We had nine games missed by starters, the whole 14 or 15 games. I mean, last year we had about 90. All right, so to think that those two things are not going to have some impact in a positive way or a negative way is not really realistic. And I don't try to explain that to anybody. It kind of is what it is because they are fans. They want to be good. They want to be the best. And uh, I'd much rather be at a place where everybody wants to be the best and some place where they're satisfied with being mediocre. During this pandemic, I'm saying right now, you binge watched some shows, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, I what are they? Six, I watched six of them in a row because I missed the first ones. Yeah. What's the best thing you binge watched during this pandemic? I, I like The Last Dance. I mean, the other stuff that I watched, I watched with Miss Terry. So <laughs> she really has a little stronger vote than I have on what we watch. So sometimes I just have to persevere. But who's got the remote? She does. <laughs> See, that's groundbreaking stuff right there. If I do, it's, well, why are we watching this? So, <laughs> so what's Miss Terry having you watch? Um, you know, we watch things on Netflix so we can, or Amazon or one of those where you can watch one episode. and Yeah, like Ozark? Are you an Ozark fan? We watched Ozark, um, uh, Little Fires or something like that. I mean, yeah, I yeah. went through that. That was pretty decent, interesting. You know, we're all over the map, but those are two of my favorites, I think. Chuckster, we have just spent uh, about a half hour with a living legend here on the steam room. Well, hey, Ernie, Ernie I, he already knows. I, I tell people he's the greatest college football coach ever. He's always treated me great. And, Coach, I want to thank you. You know, you made my life mills down at Auburn a couple times. But, man, it's, it's an honor to have you on the steam room. But, like I say, man, you're, you're the, the best college football coach ever. And thanks what you do for the state of Alabama. Well, you know, I appreciate you saying that, Charles. But, you know, one thing that I've always admired about you and Bo Jackson, uh, both. I mean, you've always put the people of the state in front of – Auburn or Alabama. I know you're great fans for your school and all that kind of stuff, but you've done some, both of you have done so much, all right, because you're two guys that have, you know, tremendous reputations and influence to, you know, help a lot of people in the state. And I think it would be a good thing for all of our fans, Alabama and Auburn alike, that we can be the best fans and the most passionate fans that we ever want to be. Right? But when it comes down to people and helping people, we ought to come together and do that, regardless of which school we love the most. And you do a great job of that, and so does Bo. Thank you, Coach. All right, man. Ernie, talk about the same thing from Georgia. I didn't know you were from Georgia, but, you know. Yeah, well, class of 78, UGA, um, you know, born in Milwaukee, grew up in Atlanta. But um, it's just fun to watch competitive, good football. It's good, to, it's good to root for your team. It's great to be in that atmosphere. And, you know, to, you know somebody's going to walk away disappointed. And it's yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of kid with you, but um, those are just great moments, and you can't you can't match that atmosphere. 
in that place on that night, man. It's awesome. They were great moments of me and Coach Saban. I can promise you that. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for piling on there, Chuckster. Appreciate that. Hi, guys. Well, hey, we appreciate you. You know, have a great day. God bless you and stay safe, you and your families. All right. Thanks for right. having me on. Thank you. Right back at you, Coach. Thank you. Chuckster, that's some fun right there, man. Man, you know, Ernie, uh, you know, they get mad at me down at Auburn sometime. I think probably four years ago, Coach Saban had called and asked me to speak to his team. And I know how sensitive those Auburn people are. I tried like hell to keep it on the down low, Ernie. I didn't tell anybody. And then, so I was just set up a couple months in advance. So I'm thinking, I'm telling my boys, hey, man, Coach Saban, I'm coming down to speak to the team. I got to keep it on the down low because, you know, Auburn people are going to go crazy. 48 hours before I got to speak, <laughs> my phone starts going crazy. How could you do that? How could you speak to them? I said, dude, Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach ever. I'm just hoping he don't ask me to cut his grass. Because, <laughs> think about it. If he said, hey, Chuck, why are you down here? Cut my grass. I'm going to cut his grass. And, but it was, and I said, guys, I said, guys, Alabama's a great school. He's a great coach. I'm not, and we're talking about me talking to these young kids. And I said, it's an honor and a privilege for him to ask me and to speak. But I was like, I tried to keep it a secret because I know Auburn people are sensitive about the time. They don't get any better in the coaching ranks than uh, the Nick Saban. Man, that was, uh, that was good stuff. Back with more on the steam room uh, in just a second. We are back with more of the steam room, the, the second most popular podcast in the history of media. Ernie Johnson, along with Charles Barkley. And now we follow up Nick Saban with a pair of guests <laughs> who are geniuses in their own right. The Malamut brothers, Adam and Craig, who created uh, the Game of Zones. It is just, I mean... Must see, must see. It is. It's just genius, man. And, and seven seasons worth, and, and now the seventh season is ending. Please tell me, I mean, is this it? I know it kind of feels definitive from watching the last episode, but is there is there going to be more? In the words of Kevin Garnett, you know, anything is possible. So... So we'll see. We'll Good see. To hear. This could be our Jordan playing baseball year. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, you, the, the stuff you put out there is just so smart. Uh, and like I say, I'm not saying that to kiss up to you. Some of the things that these guys say have you on the floor rolling. And I, we're talking about when I, I was doing Adam Lefko's podcast the other day, and I said, you know, these guys are so talented. I says, I rewatched the Kawhi Leonard going to Toronto thing. And I said, man, that just made me the and Joe and Yaka Purtle. <laughs> Jake Puddle. So I went back and looked at the Jimmy Butler thing. And he says, that's his heart. He says, oh, too big. I mean, I'm on every part of heart. I'm laughing. You guys are just fantastic, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. One of the perks of sucking at basketball is that you get to be good at other things. So uh, <laughs> once once we learned that we weren't good at basketball, we're like, all right, we better figure out how to draw and do voices. <laughs> It proves how dialed in you guys are to all the storylines that are going on in the NBA. And it is one of those things, like Chuck says, where you can't just watch it once because you know you're going to – it's almost like watching Seinfeld. 
You know, you had to go back and say, oh, I missed that little line in there. But I do. You go back and look for the details. And I just wonder, considering what you have used, where do you draw the line? And did you haven't you had some really good stuff that made you howl when you were putting this together and say, yeah, but we we can't go there. (laughs) Yeah, but we can't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's the next episode. We've had a lot of stuff that uh, we joke about, but doesn't quite make the cut. We also have stuff that doesn't make the cut because for one reason or another, things change. Like we had this great scene if the Celtics made it to the finals uh, that year, but they lost to LeBron and uh, against the Warriors. We had a great, we have great scenes for situations that don't always happen. But as far as the like Easter eggs and stuff like that, you know, we know that people watch our show actively. Like it's not, they're not usually not sitting on a couch and just watching like a show. They're at their computer, they're reading comments. And so we put a lot of stuff in there and we don't pander and we just make the smart jokes and let people figure it out in the comments because it's like a different kind of experience. And so we want to layer it with, with stuff like that so that it's, it feels like an active experience. Like you got to pay attention. Yeah. We think we rely on the sort of the hive mind of the internet to catch everything. And then, uh, the community can discuss it and you can pause the screen and you can scan the background for whatever you want to see in it. Uh, whereas if you're watching on TV, you can't really pause the screen and, and look at the Seinfeld background. You know, at least well, that's technically you can now. Nowadays, <laughs> with, but back when Seinfeld was coming out. Yeah. Y'all the only two guys do the voices? Yes. Yeah. Howard Beck, the writer, did his voice. But other than that, we do every single voice. Yeah. When you're doing this, have you just ever just cracked up you want to answer that, Craig? Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I oftentimes I w- I'm the one sitting recording everything while Adam's going. He'll just start improvising as different characters, and I'll ruin takes because I'm I'm laughing so much. And oftentimes it's because we're he's saying things that we absolutely cannot put in episodes <laughs> coming out of the, the voice yeah. of the Swamp Dragon. You know, and it's yeah. just... which one of you is Mark Cuban? Oh, that is me. Yes. Oh, yes, Mark Cuban. <laughs> Oh, oh, Nerlins, I love your cylindrical hair. Um, <laughs> um, how, do, how do you remember what everybody sounds like? You're doing so many voices, and who did me? Uh, I did you. Wait, let's see. So, oh, Chuck. So it starts, it starts off with like, oh, Chuck. I don't know. And then I turn into a British thing where I'm like, oh, welcome back to Inside the Realm. And it's a voice. It's a pleasant voice. And then I don't know if I, I can do Barkley in front of in front of you, Charles, because Yes, you, yes, you can. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what the Sun Kings. <laughs> Man, I don't know who the Sun Kings are, but they're in trouble. <laughs> that, that was perfect. I can't believe I just uh, did your voice in front of you. I'm I'm sorry for that. I'm it. not worthy. <laughs> the thing is we pitch shift the voices down, so I'm actually Shaq. <clears throat> And my shag impression is not that good. When I pitch shift my voice down like four semitones, I sound a lot more like Shaq. And I think most people do once you uh, lower your voice that much. Don't get me wrong. LeBron was incredible. But it was only one battle. Best of seven, putting my money on Jordan. (laughs) What's your take on Paul Pierce as the greatest player of all time? Well, if you listen to Paul Pierce, he thinks he's the greatest player of all time. So that's that's not breaking news. <laughs> so technically, we're not saying he's the GOAT. 
he's saying he's the goat. So. Yeah, because because that's what you see in the last scene right. is he's is he's pinning that and then putting the putting the volume into the bookshelf over there. We came up with the whole concept for the season back in like December, and we were writing it in January, and we had no idea what was going to happen in 2020, and. Uh, we wrote this concept to basically diverge from what was going to go on in the NBA. We knew it was just going to be completely separate from the playoffs. And we were okay with that because we were trying to wrap up the series. And we thought, what's the biggest topic we could cover? And that's the, you know, everyone's always talking about the GOAT. Everyone's talking about LeBron versus Jordan. And then we start making the episodes and suddenly the, the, the pandemic starts exploding. The NBA is actually suspended like in our show with where there's this this like virus almost of like 90s nostalgia going around and then of course and then paul pierce goes and yesterday yeah. you know doesn't put lebron in his top five and, and we were like oh my god it's like a gift from the gods like like paul pierce has just <laughs> yeah. made this topical it was so weird this became our most topical season yeah. somehow it's just bizarre uh, so on my list i got uh michael oscar kareem will bill russell and kobe like I put in number seven, who 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 goes around getting mad saying you're the seventh ranked greatest basketball player? <laughs> I, I take that. I take yeah. that ranking. I got people calling me, so I guess I'm number twenty two on the list uh, on the ESPN thing that just came out, mm-hmm. and they're like, "You got a comment?" I'm like, "Some this guy's ahead of you, and this guy's." I says, "Yo, man." I'm 60 years old. You want me to argue about, like, thank you. I'm not going to argue who's ahead of me. Yeah. You know, and also, I don't like that they don't count post-career stuff as well. Because let me tell you something. It's, 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 it, there's people who are, a lot of times there's people who are good at basketball, and then there's people who suck at basketball and are funny. But it's very rarely someone who's really an elite basketball player, a.k.a. Charles Barkley, and funny. Like, there's not a lot of funny basketball players. And, like, I, I think if you include humor – I think Charles, you got to be right up there with uh, with Paul Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you guys have told us on our show before, but for people who are watching Steam Room, give me an example of how long one episode takes. An episode takes about eight weeks to make because it starts with we think of our concept of what we want to do. It takes us about two weeks to write it another week or two to record it and put all the music in and all the sound design, all the sound effects and everything. And then, it, you know, another week or two to storyboard it all and put that to the, you know, edit it together. And then the designers have to get all the heads of all, like they, you know, we get like photographs of everyone's head that we're going to draw and uh, collect those. And then they have to build all their eyes and mouths. So there was someone at Bleach Report who was just staring at both of your faces for days just building every single shape that's in your eye and your mouth and your ears and then there's animators who then puppet it around that takes another couple weeks so the whole process is is it's basically this long assembly line and as we pass it down to each artist who adds their touch to it we start working on the next one and putting that down the assembly line and then they each come out you know one week after another that's amazing yeah, it is. And you know what's crazy, too? I mean, so, Craig, you were what? Astrophysics is what you were studying? So when you decided to study astrophysics, you probably thought that's a great stepping stone into a game of zones. Do you shake your head sometimes and say, how the heck did this happen? Yeah, it's it's just the random walk of life, I, I guess. I was... 
I was in grad school and Adam had made, was making cartoons about sports. And after I graduated, he was like, I can't do this myself because as I explained before, it's so much work to make these things. You have to draw like every frame. And so he's like, Craig, come out to Hollywood. Let's make it big. It's cartoon brothers. And so I was like, wooed. I went out there and uh, we came up with the concept of Game of Zones made it for Bleach Report, and that's what I've been doing the last six years. Uh, it's complete right turn from what I was doing before, but I do keep the stars in the skies, like in all those backgrounds, I make sure those are accurate. So, you know, make it, making my <laughs> professors happy. Exactly. If you're late to the party on this and you're saying this game of zones, I, you know, if you haven't seen every season, you just, look, you'll get on there, you can find the entire collection all seven seasons and you will not be able to stop watching you'll watch the first one you'll see it goes right into the second and if you're an nba fan you will be unable to turn the thing off so check it out catch yourself up i mean you're looking for something to binge watch jump on game of Thrones. once you start watching you're gonna be laughing so hard you're gonna be laughing so hard and you think the next episode, you're going to be like, well, they can't be just as good. And you're going to die laughing. It's, it, uh, man, not just because we got you guys on the show. Uh, you're just awesome and continue success. Yeah, and by the way, one real quick aside before we let you go. Uh, Tom Thibodeau was in the studio oh, last, year, last year working in, on NBA TV oh, on the night that we, were, that we were working on our show on TNT. <laughs> and I... And I didn't know Tom very well. And I said, geez, I wonder if he saw that episode, that Minnesota Timberwolves episode. And, you know, maybe maybe I was, uh, you know, I liked Robert Covington's hustle a little bit too much. So I said to Chuckster, I said, do you think Bibbs or Tibbs watches watches that? Do you think he liked it? And I said, I said I'm not going to ask him. Chuck walks in and says, hey, Ernie's too scared to ask you, Coach, but have you watched that game of zones? And he said, oh, yeah, it was hilarious. Oh, so you were afraid to ask me, huh? And it's like, yeah, thank you throwing oh me under God. the greyhound oh. that's amazing oh, that's, it's got everybody's ear everybody's ear and everybody's eye they all they all yeah. watch it uh, it's it really is surreal and amazing for us who are just fans of the nba i was born 83 outside of philly and so like there was like mickey mouse michael jackson and charles barkley growing up who were like bigger than life figures <laughs> and so to have you say those things about uh, our cartoon is really meaningful so thank you oh, yeah that is awesome Appreciate you guys being here, Adam and Craig Malamut. Back here on the Steam Room. And I think all loyal Steamers would agree, this is one of the most popular segments, week in, week out. Tim Kiley, longtime legendary producer of Inside the NBA, joins us. You know, in 20 years, this is the first time we're not on the road. We should normally be someplace and be on the road. Conference finals. Conference finals this year. The basketball gods kind of be like, I don't want Chuck, Ernie, and TK to be in L.A. for two weeks for the (laughs) conference finals. Like the one year, we built the whole year to have the Lakers and the Clippers. We we could have stayed in the same hotel, (laughs) not even moved. And the basketball guys are like, no, we want to do it like they did it a couple of years ago. When we had to drive between Dallas and Oklahoma City. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We're here to tell some road stories. 
Let's start things off with our old pal Steve Fiorello, our longtime director of Inside the NBA, one of my great friends, one of Chuck's great friends, one of Ernie's great friends, and unfortunately a great friend to the Cleveland Browns. Steve, take it away. So I've been asked to talk about my conference final experience. Uh, and one of the things that comes to mind was in Miami. It was pre-Shack, and we had this great outside location uh, right in front of the arena, getting ready to do our show. And, you know, EJ's on the set, who's usually um, on the set much earlier than everybody else. And then Charles and Kenny are headed out towards the set. Apparently, our boy Chuck maybe flew a few uh, gestures towards the crowd for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. I don't think the fans in, in Miami uh, are fond of the Chuckster. Uh, I could be wrong, but at least, at least that day, something went down. In the commercial breaks, the conversations between Chuck and the crowd just seemed to escalate. And it wasn't, there wasn't pleasantries exchanged, let's put it like that. It just felt like something really bad was about to happen. And I turned to TK and I'm like, you know, hey, TK, I, I don't know that this is, this is going very well. I remember we, we whipped through the show, literally a 15-minute show, um, which was supposed to be an hour, and six of those 15 minutes were commercial breaks. I've never been a part of a show like that before um, and haven't been a part of one since. Go Browns. <laughs> what a way to end that. He's telling the story, go Browns. I remember that, too. Yeah, Chuck flipped off the fans down there in Miami. and they oh, fingers, Ernie. My goodness. The fans are nice until two things. They get drunk and you pick against their team. I, first of all, Ernie, you know, we don't care who's going to win. We want good games, man. We want good stories. We always want a seven-game series and we don't care who's going to win. Fans want you to pick their team. That's it. And if you don't pick their team and once they get liquored up, Ernie, that, that brings us to another one that you, you may recall. 2014, we were at the NCAA Final Four, and we were staying at the UConn Hotel. Mm-hmm. And Doc kept picking against UConn. We had to go back into the hotel bar every night and get brutalized by UConn fans. Then they won the title, and we came back, and I thought, there's no way we're getting through this place. I won't even be able to get to my hotel room because I'm walking with Chuck. I don't know if you were with us. He gets up on the bar and starts yelling to the fans, teach me the Yukon fight song. Teach yeah. me the Yukon fight song. Next thing you know, Chuck, you had a meeting out of your hand. You know what's really funny? They were underdog in every game. Nobody expected them to win. Can you still sing the Yukon fight song? No, no, no. Uh, TK, what have I told you about singing? You, only, you know I'm the greatest living karaoke singer. You can only do karaoke when you've been drinking. I can't do that fight song unless I'm drinking and they telling me the words. The last one. Remember all those years we were in San Antonio, Arnie, you know, with the with the Spurs and the Lakers and all that. This is when Shaq and Kobe were going at it. And the Lakers had just won a game in San Antonio, and Chuck was leading us from the hotel. He was the Pied Piper. There were about 10 of us to, to the Riverwalk. And a, a big limo escalade goes by us real slow and all of a sudden i hear as it passed us charles barkley charles barkley and i'm like oh my god this is over with it was shack yep you remember chuck he gets out of the car and jumps on your back it was like watching two dinosaurs wrestle for a piece of meat 
San Antonio, you know, is one of my, uh, like, part of my 17th favorite city in the world. <laughs> I like San Antonio, man. I've always liked going there. I love I love guacamole prepared at your table side, man. All of us ever go to San Antonio's to a Spurs game. If, if the Spurs are playing, there's absolutely nothing going on in San Antonio. They got no other pro sports. It's really exciting when the Spurs are playing, but there's no other reason. And first of all, that's not a river. It's a dirty creek. <laughs> I'm not, see, I, you're not going to get me to play the role of Shaquille O'Neal and say, hey, hey, Charles, tell, me, tell, tell hey. us about those. Uh, what, what else about San Antonio? No, we're not going to go down that road. Not, not, on this, not on this episode of the Steam Room. DJ, you got any favorite stories from the road? The block party we had in Milwaukee last year. That was a lot. That was a year ago, man. I'm not blowing smoke right now. That was one of the coolest things I've ever done since I've been at Turner. First of all, to, to have the same people living in that in that house and you and, and, and seeing some of the people who you grew up with, that's one of the most fun things that I ever did in my Turner years. Oh, that was so much fun, man. And you kind of like were front and center with that thing instead of instead of just going to the house. Let's have a party out there. Let's have the neighbors come over. And it was, man, it was awesome. That's uh, that's one of those things that happens off, off the court that you'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was in the house first. When I turned the corner and you walked in, your face, I'll never forget that facial expression as long as I live, you know, because you saw your old house. Exactly the same. Oh my God, that was great. Yeah, it was it was like Rod Serling, uh, Twilight Zone-ish. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. Well, all right, boys, until next week. Be safe, TK. And we're back in the steam room, uh, where we like to close out every uh, episode uh, of this podcast with an old school reference, the uh, the answering machine that belongs to Charles Barkley. So we love it when people call and uh, and leave us messages like this one. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hey, Chuck and Ernie, this is CA, and I am a longtime listener of the number one podcast in the universe, The Steam Room. And I got a question. Who's going to win the match this weekend between that adorable Peyton and Tiger and Lefty and the Patriots? And also, Chuck, I hope you get a birdie. Have a great day. Well, let me say this. Ernie, we work with some cheapskates over at Turner. No. Why would you say that? It's not a very nice thing to say. Well, okay. So, Ernie, they're going to donate $200,000 to my charity. I'm going to do food banks, uh, one in Arizona and one in Alabama. So they're going to donate $200,000 if I make a bogey. So shouldn't they donate more if I make a par or a birdie? Um, I hate to tell anybody how to spend their money. But I'd say a bogey or a birdie. I mean, I'd say here's what you're, here's what they're going to do for a bogey, a bogey or better. But if you do birdie the hole, then maybe they should double it. Thank you. But the chance of you, and again, this is in addition to the match, right? This is this is something else that's going to be going on. Yeah. Okay. We'll see how that plays out. But yeah, there's a donation to charity riding on you making at least a bogey on the par four 18th hole at medalist. 
So if I make par or birdie, which, number one, they're not likely. But TNT should bring some excitement to it. Uh, it's going to be exciting enough just to see how far you get off the tee on 18. Uh, anyway, who's going to win the match? Well, I, number one, I cannot wait. you got the greatest golfer who ever lived, in my opinion, Tiger Woods. you got the greatest football player ever, Tom Brady. you got Phil Mickelson, who's one of the 10 greatest players ever. And you got Peyton, one of the four or five best quarterbacks ever. I'm going to go. First of all, I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait. Well, I'm going to go with Peyton and Tiger. Tom Brady's been busy. He's been busy working with his Tampa Bay teammates. He's been busy breaking into people's houses down in the Tampa area. <laughs> so he's been busy, Ernie. I mean, think about it. <laughs> Practicing football, he's been getting kicked out of the parks, and he's been breaking and entering. So he's been really busy. Peyton ain't been doing anything. That's my rationale. Well... Last time they had the match, Phil was a big underdog to Tiger, and he wound up winning that thing out at Shadow Creek. So uh, we'll see. I think it's going to be really entertaining. I think when you got four guys mic'd, uh, and they all have their own unique brands of humor, I think. Uh, and when you have a couple of guys who aren't professional golfers who are teeing it up with guys who are pros, there is the uh, there is the possibility for some errant shots to be hit, which could be a source of some uh, uh, comedy value. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I have made it perfectly clear. I can't wait to the second nine. The Tiger Field going to hit good shots on the front nine. To me, the most exciting part of the match is going to be the back nine on the alternate shots. Yep. That, to me, is going to be the highlight of this weekend. Going to be a lot of fun, Chuckster. And uh, as, as always, this has been... Uh, uh, you know, it just gets more fun every week, doesn't it? When you have the great guests, that's that's what makes it. Yeah. Like, because I've had people say to me, Ernie, like, yo, man, you guys have great guests. So shout out to the crew. Uh, but we've had great guests on the show. Uh, the Malamut Brothers and Nick Saban today. As we're approaching 20 episodes of The Steam Room. Wow. The second most popular podcast in the history of media. It's been our pleasure to bring it to you. Hope to see you again next week. Keep your towels on. See you then. <laughs>